Busy weekends are a breeze with American Express Platinum Card. 8 a.m., wait to board plane in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> Much better. 2 p.m., grab seats for the game. Come on, pick and roll! 6 p.m., book an exclusive reservation with Resi Global Dining Access. Right this way. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to the Centurion Lounge, must-see live events, and exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Terms apply. An epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge. Now it's almost tip-off, and everyone's already on their feet. This is gonna be good. See how to elevate your live sports experience at AmericanExpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. Welcome to the latest edition of March Madness 365. We are into July. The year is just flying by. I'm your host, Andy Katz. And on this edition of our podcast, I'll be joined by Mike White, the head coach of Florida. The Gators jumping back into the top 10 of my Power 36. I updated what we did last week. Midweek, I updated it. Put them at number 8, up from 11, because of the addition of Virginia Tech transfer Kerry Blackshear Jr. Blackshear. Uh, was the catalyst, the leader for Virginia Tech, getting them to the Sweet 16 under Buzz Williams. Buzz Williams goes to Texas A&M. Blackshear declares for the NBA draft, comes back, decides not to go back to Virginia Tech and play for Mike Young, the new head coach, came over from Wofford. And he decides to go back and play for his home state school. He's from Orlando and the University of Florida. Tennessee was interested, Kentucky. This is a huge coup for the Gators. They get a veteran player player who's experienced, who's played at the highest level in college basketball, who fills a void for them and can help Florida potentially win the SEC, compete with Kentucky, and maybe get to a Final Four. So that's where I want Mike White on. We're going to talk about Blackshear and all things Gators, so he'll be joining me. And then Brad Bonnell from Clemson as the Tigers are in Naples, Italy now. We taped right before they left. Uh, they are representing the United States in the World University Games. It's a bit of a retooling year for Clemson. They lost a lot. Uh, got some transfers, grad transfers, four-year transfers. This is an important trip for them. This University Games has worked well for Purdue in the past. They represent the United States, Kansas. This is critically important for Clemson. And I think it's a great thing that they did, I think, about 10 years ago when Clemson was the first team to do it uh, because it takes a – United States college team, which is what this should be. It's the World University Games going against teams overseas, mostly a lot of teams from Europe uh, that have been playing together for a long time. And what we do in USA basketball a lot is the U.S. ends up getting a collection of players, uh, almost like an all-star team of guys that have not played together. And obviously, they've been very successful at the U19, U18, U17 level. But it's not easy to put a team together very quickly. And right now, you heard... Bruce Weber from Kansas State last week talked about this. He's over in Greece right now with a team, and they're playing well so far at the beginning of that tournament. Um, but you're going against teams a lot of times around the globe uh, that are used to playing with each other. So chemistry is a major issue. So uh, this is huge for Clemson because it's their team. And this is better than going on a traditional European trip because uh, you're getting intense games against uh, you know pretty good competition. 
So this will be great for Clemson. We'll see if it's a springboard for them next season into the ACC. And they're also doing it earlier in the summer. A lot of the foreign trips that will be going on, those will happen in August. Uh, so players have been home, then they come back for summer school, and then they go abroad. For the most part, if I'm not mistaken, I think Clemson barely went home, basically stayed through, and then they'll get their break before they reconvene to get ready for the fall. Uh, big news, as you know, uh, over the week, uh, we talked about this, but uh, UConn officially now in the Big East for 2019-20, excuse me, for 2020-21. Uh, this coming season will be their last season in the American Athletic Conference in all sports except for football. Uh, they're moving to the Big East. Football likely will be an independent. Uh, that's really their only option at this juncture. Uh, the MAC, Conference USA, American are not going to take them. I don't see that for C happening as a football only. And American already made that clear. This is a unbelievable move for the Big East and for UConn. Conversations that I had uh, with Dan Hurley, head coach of men's basketball at UConn, and Val Ackerman, the Big East commissioner. You can find those on NCAA.com as well as our March Madness Twitter and Facebook handles. For Hurley, he turned down Pitt to go to UConn, and he's from Jersey, played at Seton Hall. He told me that he thought this could happen, but never really you know, was convinced. And he ends up in the Big East, which is perfect for him uh, long term. It'll be great for recruiting. Uh, look, he was honest with me and said that they did not tear the American apart. In fact, they've never won it. Uh, they've never even finished second. Uh, they won a tournament and they won a national championship out of the American that first year or second year. This Louisville won it, then they won it. So it was 13-14 uh, out of the American. So the American still has been a very tough basketball league. The Big East will be uh, extremely difficult for UConn, but it's more in their neighborhood. It's going to be huge for the Big East. And it was great that the Big East finally got off their perch of only having like-minded schools. This was the one team that they could and should add, and they did. And we talked about this as well. They didn't need to add Dayton or St. Louis or schools like that. They needed something like UConn if they were going to do it. Allows them to be a true round robin, 20 league games, get 11 teams. This will all happen in 2021. They're going to work out the finances. I'm going to guess it's going to be at least over $10 million, probably 10 to $15 million to get out of the American a year early, out of the 27-month uh, exit time frame you have to give. Uh, it was 10 million, 27 months. If you want to get out earlier, which they will and are going to, you're going to owe a little more money. So that's where I think it'll be in the 12 to 15 range to get out. Entry fee will be a little under 4 uh, million. And then, you know, the revenue is not going to be the same. They're going to have to work harder to get football money through a television deal. We'll see where that comes from. Is it Fox? Is it SNY out of New York? Is it maybe cutting a deal with ESPN just for football? Who knows? Uh, their rights will be obviously owned by Fox uh, for all those other sports, men's and women's basketball, which is huge for Fox. And uh, for men's basketball, it just breathes new life into the program and certainly will bring back that brand even more. Uh, but the American got another year. And look, Memphis, Houston, Cincinnati, South Florida, all going to be really good. And UConn's going to have to try to get in there and finish the job of in the American of trying to get out into the NCAA tournament. So they have momentum going into the Big East, which won't be easy for Dan Hurley and his crew. So they've got their work cut out for him. Uh, also, we're going to talk to Mike White about this. The last two weekends of June were high school recruiting weekends. This is the new calendar of this. I'm going to tell you, I keep seeing positive things coming from coaches about when there were state high school associations that ran these. Uh, I think there were 29 states or 29 events. Uh, so not all 50, and you're not going to get all 50 because some of the states just aren't big enough 
population-wise to have it, but you could have sort of regionalization. But the big states need to get their act together, and I think they will. Uh, Texas didn't have one, uh, so it was a new environment to recruit. Uh, I've seen nothing but positive comments, you know, in that vein. I think some of the complaining will happen in July when they lose out uh, on one of the recruiting weekends. They're getting that first week back like they always did at Peach Jam, which is a tournament in the Atlanta, or excuse me, the Augusta area. Uh, so the high school scholastic recruiting weekends, everything positive from Tom Crean of Georgia, uh, new Ohio coach, Jeff Bowles. I saw him tweet about it. Very positive in terms of seeing players in a high school environment with their teams. Uh, and so the competition was good. The style of play was positive. And like anything, don't prejudge all these things. Let them happen first and see what happens. That's why I, not to get off topic for a second, but everyone's anointing the the Nets, you know, as a potential uh, Eastern Conference champ. A, Kevin Durant not playing yet for a whole year, coming back from an Achilles injury, which is by far every PT doc has ever told me uh, that covers sports or deals with athletes is the toughest to come back from. Uh, and we got to wait and see. He's obviously one of the best, if not the best basketball player in the world. And he'll have unbelievable care. But let's see how he comes back. And then Kyrie Irving, you know, as great a player as he is, didn't work out with the Celtics this past year. Uh, the Nets obviously had a great run last year with younger players. Now you inject Kyrie with the younger group. Could it be with what happened to the Celtics? Good year two years ago when Kyrie wasn't playing as much. Comes back. They don't have a great year. We'll see what happens. But my point in using the Nets as an example is let's play it out before we anoint. And let's play the recruiting out before we trash it. That's all I'm saying is everyone loves to prejudge things. Let Just give it a chance. And then if it doesn't work out, they will tweak it. Trust me, they will adjust. They're not going to cr- cancel it and throw it away, but they will adjust. They're open to adjustments. It is a new era in that regard. So be patient, everyone, if you're following college basketball and, college, and follow recruiting. Uh, all right, let's get to Mike White. Florida Gators, the flavor of the month right now. Uh, They're climbing into the top 10, my top 10. I think they will be a preseason top 10 team. And now joining me here on March Madness 365, Florida head coach Mike White. And the Gators uh, are skyrocketing up here even in July. Uh, My power 36, and I know I'm not alone. I changed my top 11, put them number eight with the addition of Kerry Blackshear Jr., the transfer from Virginia Tech. And I think there's no question this is a Florida team that has the pieces. It's a long way off, but to compete for the SEC title and get to a Final Four. So I've set all this up, Mike, but uh, I know there's a long way to go. But let's just talk about what you've built, this roster you've put together. Uh, How do you think all these pieces will fit? Yeah, sure, Andy. And you said we have so long uh, to go and and so much work to do. And, um, you know, it's it's flattering that people think we have a chance to be pretty good. I guess that's a better problem than the alternative, but you know, we're just, we can't focus on what other people think. Of course, it's about getting better today and that's it. And then let's wake up tomorrow and try to get a little bit better individually and collectively. That said, I, I do like our roster, Andy. Um, I like its versatility. Uh, I, I do wish we were a little bit older, a little bit more experienced. We're going to be very young. Uh, we're also going to be very new to, uh, you know, to this system and to this program for the most part. Uh, we only returned six guys getting, um, Getting KJ was was really big for us because he comes in as our only senior. So he'll have an opportunity to impact from a leadership standpoint immediately, 
to complement the the fact that we anticipate him uh, producing offensively and defensively at a really high rate for us. We really like our three uh, freshman starters from last year that will re- that will return in Nemhard and, and Locke and Johnson. Got some some newcomers that have a chance to be very good, but you know haven't gotten stop at the college level, hadn't scored a basket, haven't even gone through a practice yet. And then we, we've got the, a, a couple other front court guys uh, that have a little bit of experience. We've got a couple redshirt juniors and in, in Dante Bassett and Gorjak Gak that uh, give us a little bit of age again and, and just a little bit of experience, although Gak's got to get healthy uh, and he hasn't played much the last couple of years. So uh, that's what we're working with. Great young men. Uh, first workout today and uh, we're ready to get after it. All right. So let's deal with a couple of these guys first on the recruitment of Blackshear. Obviously, he's from the state of Florida, uh, from Orlando, so in a sense, coming home to his home state school. Um, but this this is the new normal where, you know, the, the grads transfer or a transfer in general can fill a huge void um, that a team needs, especially a team that has a chance like you guys. So when you saw that he was declaring and then was not going to stay in the draft, but ultimately was not going to go back to Virginia Tech, how did that all play out to where you said, okay, you know what? This is someone we can zero in on. We've got the advantage of obviously, you know, being in his home state school. But, uh, you know, here's why we need him. Here's why we think this is the right spot for him. Yeah, you know, why we need him was was really easy for us. You know, he, he was an all-ACC guy, you know, on a team that um, had a really good year. I mean, Virginia Tech last year, Buzz did a terrific job. They were the 20th-ranked defense, the 11th-ranked offense. Uh, I, I thought that, that he – did a good job of anchoring those guys, both defensively and offensively. His his percentage of possessions, his usage rate, all those things offensively, they, they played through him. He got a lot of touches. He's they they utilized them really really well. I mean he uh, he can make really good decisions. He can pass it. He can dribble it. He can shoot it. He can score it. He's got a a really good ability to draw fouls to get to the foul line. So he was an absolute no brainer for us. Uh, you know most people in the country at least try to take a swing, of course. And with us, I think the proximity to home, uh, to his family, very close-knit family, uh, what, 80, 90 miles down the road. He actually lives in North uh, Orlando, I think, uh, played a a huge part. And, uh, of course, we've got to utilize that to our advantage. Uh, That said, I I think that the the success we've had in a couple other graduate transfers didn't hurt either in in Canyonberry and Igor Kulichov, who both came here as fifth-year guys and had really good experiences. You know, it's, uh, it's potentially uh, a, a degree that he can get from the University of Florida while potentially residing in, in Orlando or in Florida uh, when the ball stops bouncing for him uh, were, were factors as well. So, you know, a projected potential starting five of Blackshear, Johnson up front, and then we'll see if, uh, you know, it ends up being Nemhard Locke and Scotty Lewis, who's going to come in with a lot of hype. How already in this brief time of him being on campus, I know you're just starting to work out, but how do you see him fitting into a group that already had, you know, sort of established a relationship and some chemistry? Yeah, with with Scotty, he's a guy that people like to play with. He, he's uh, he's not a he's not a hog. You know, he's not a big numbers guy. And he'll tell you that, you know, he's he's a guy that um, he wants to win. He's a competitive kid. Uh, he wants to fill up the stat sheet in many different ways. Uh, he doesn't need to have the ball in his hands a ton to affect the game. That said, you know, he, he's working every day to become a better offensive player, a better shooter, a better scorer. 
but he takes pride in, in every part, every facet of the game. He's got leadership skills. He's a, again, he's, he's a great young man. Um, he's a culture guy and, uh, we're really excited to have him. Of course. How much did you sweat whether or not, uh, Andrew was going to come back after declaring? You know, if, if someone told him that he had a guarantee, you know, that's what we would want would have wanted for him. Of course. Um, I guess we weren't hearing that late. He got a lot of positive feedback though. You know, he and his family and, and we did of course too. everyone that worked him out, fell in love with him as a kid, uh, which we anticipated. He's, he's awesome. You know, super accountable, tough kid, high, high IQ, you know, at the end of it, Andy, you know, I think there was some uncertainty. I think it was a hard decision for him. It's always a tough question to answer because if he stayed in, of course, we would have had his back and we would have been really, really excited for him. But uh, I'd be lying to you if I didn't, you know, if I told you that uh, I wasn't super excited to have an opportunity to coach in the sophomore season. And how do you think this played out where it was the, you know, the first time where we really saw the ability to, to, to use an agent, uh, to go through this draft process, hopefully make an informed decision, which I think he did, you know, as we saw the number of guys that weren't even drafted. Uh, how, how do you think it played out from your vantage point, seeing one of your key players go through it? Well, I, I think uh, I think it worked out well. Like, like you said, I think he was really thorough. He got a bunch of feedback. Um, he made a, a calculated decision throughout it. You know, he was informed. We were informed. Uh, I, I thought it worked out really well you know, for, for all parties. And, um, you know, ultimately this kid now has a chance to be one of the better point guards in our league as a sophomore, a little bit more experienced, has a chance to really enlarge his role as a leader. Uh, and that's, that's coming from him. I mean, he's, he wants this to be his team, you know, maybe with a, another guy or two, depending on who else wants to step up. But uh, he's a really, really good point guard. He's definitely an extension of of, of my staff and I. New three-point line. Uh, I'm sure you guys are going to, or if it's not already down, I'm sure it is down or will be down uh, in terms of working with this this summer uh, with guys that make big shots like Nemhard, who made the, the three to knock off the LSU in the SEC tournament. How much of a factor do you see the extension of the three-point line of the international distance uh, being with your group? I, I like the uniformity. You know, I like I like uh, it being as parallel as possible the game. You know, with um, you know, with with the other leagues and so on and so forth. But you know, immediately I don't anticipate there being a a, a big change. I I, just, I really don't. I, I think that a lot of threes are shot from back there, as it is. It, it'll be interesting to see and, and to evaluate. But I, I don't anticipate there being a big change at all. This was the conclusion this past weekend of the two June Scholastic. Weekends of recruiting, not every state was on board yet. A uh, number of states were in terms of where it was more high school driven uh, to go out recruiting. Uh, we'll see, you know, you're going to have the normal sort of first week coming up in a week's time where people can go to the Peach Jam and then the basketball academies will be that, that third week in July. But uh, how would you assess these two June weekends where it was scholastic uh, recruiting for using basically the high schools uh, as the vehicle to watch, uh, watch pers- prospective uh, student athletes? Uh, new for sure. Uh, very, very different, you know, for us that have been in it for a while and, and have had pretty much the same, you know, July recruiting routine, same spots, same gyms. Uh, it was, uh, it was refreshing that it was a little bit different to be able to evaluate guys in different environments and circumstances to see guys that you wouldn't ordinarily, uh, get a chance to see with, with their high school coaches and their high school teams as much. 
Uh, so, you know, it, it was a neat thing uh, going into different cities to see a bunch of different high school uh, programs from that area go at it and compete at a high level. Very productive for us the last couple weekends, got a bunch of evaluations, as did everyone else, I'm sure. The, the negative, of course, as you mentioned, is that not everyone got certified. And so, you know, probably about half of our list we were able to go evaluate over these past couple weekends. But optimistically, you know, we hope that next year we get a chance to see most of our guys, if not all of our guys. I thought that the associations that, that we did get a chance to go evaluate did a really good job, not to name any in particular. But, um, you know, I thought all those, those state high school associations got after it and, um, and put a really good product out there, put together really good events. And Mike, before I let you go, and I appreciate it, uh, you know, a couple years ago, you guys were in the Elite Eight um, after an unbelievable weekend in New York, beating Wisconsin at the buzzer with uh, Chris Chiosa going the length, losing to South Carolina. Um, now, a couple years later, you've got a group that could be back in that position. Uh, you've had consistency at Florida. How much did that Elite Eight run really whet your appetite to get at least one game closer and into a Final Four? Well, first off, I just I hope you're right, Andy. I hope we're half as good as you think we're going to be. <laughs> uh, uh, we got a ways to go, man. But did it whet our appetites? Yeah, as a staff, you know, it, it was so neat to make a run. And the last couple of years, you know, we came up a little bit short, but we were able to advance a little bit. And and, and even getting there is uh, is a chore. You know, just playing an NCAA tournament is a is a really neat thing. It's the greatest event in all sport, in my opinion. But yeah, to one day have an opportunity potentially to uh, to play on that last weekend would be would be unbelievable. It, it really would be for uh, you know for Gator Nation for um, that particular team, of course. And and you strive for it long term, and you, you just you never know if it'll happen, when it'll happen. But again, circling back, all we can focus on is is having a great individual workout this afternoon. And you know what, Mike, you've done an un- outstanding job of building a great schedule which Florida consistently has done, Billy Donovan, you. I mean, you're at UConn, you're at Butler, you're going to play Providence in New York, you've got the Florida State game, you got the Charleston Classic against, which potentially could be a Xavier team, which I think will be at the top of the Big East. And then we'll see on the SEC Big 12 where, you know, I hope, I've been told this, but I hope you're going to get one of their big three next year of Kansas, Texas Tech, or Baylor. I hope that's the case because you should because you're going to be one of the best teams in the SEC. But regardless, and then the SEC, it's going to be a schedule that's going to put you in position to get in, hopefully, and to get a good seed, and then obviously that helps you advance. Yeah, and people forget, you know, no one in this uh, in this region of the country or no one affiliated with the SEC forgets, but these past couple of years have, have shown – just how competitive our league is and and how much we've improved. Uh, the non-conference schedule has always been really strong here, really in all sports. It's kind of the culture of this athletic department. And it was, you know, in the past, it was, uh, you, you're going to get some good games in league as well. You're And, and the SEC schedule is going to be pretty tough as well. Well, now it's the SEC schedule is going to be brutal on top of your non-conference schedule, which is good. You know, it's good for all of us. It gives us all a bunch of opportunity for computer numbers, you know, for postseason opportunities, and, and of course for development, you know, throughout that conference season as well. Awesome, thanks, Mike. Uh, I, you know, I'm already uh, driving the bus here. <laughs> Slow down, man. <laughs> <laughs> we got a long drive. It's all right. <laughs> That's right. Thanks, Andy. And up next year on March Madness 365, Clemson head coach Brad Rennell, as the Tigers are off to Naples, Italy, for the World University Games. And now joining me here on March Madness 365, Clemson coach 
Brad Brunel, as the Tigers will represent the United States in the World University Games in Naples, Italy. And this has really been an important thing that has changed uh, over the last couple of games. We've seen uh, Kansas uh, taking on this challenge, Northern Iowa going way back, Purdue. uh, And it really has ended up as a springboard to have a university represent the U.S. as a team, play in this international competition, and then they've benefited the year after. Uh, Brad, when you were sort of faced with this opportunity, why did you grab it? You know, Andy, first of all, just the uh, the opportunity to represent your country is something very few of us get to do. Uh, so to have that opportunity with your players, I think it's something that is extremely special. Uh, that's number one. You know, secondly, our team, we have a really young team. We, we graduated four starters uh, last year and so we, we have seven new players, over half our roster is new guys, and we just felt like this would be an incredible opportunity for us to, to work with our guys for, you know, two or three weeks here before we, we head out and then uh, to get some game experience. We got a lot of guys uh, that are going to have new roles. A couple of the older guys, the Amir Sims, Clyde Trapp, John Newman are going to have different roles. And so to give those guys some game experience and then to bring the new guys in and just kind of see what we have, it's really a, a a unique opportunity for us to kind of kind of do it all at once. And what do you think of the fact that, you know, I think we're going back, maybe this might be the fourth time, if, if I'm counting correctly, allowing a team rather than, as, as we know, Bruce Weber is now coaching the U19 team that's over in Greece. And, and we've seen great success in USA basketball, but not always, but trying to put together essentially – you know, a team, a collection of players that aren't used to being each other with each other. They, they're thrown together for a couple of weeks and then they got to go win an international competition, usually against uh, other teams that have been together for years. Uh, this switch to trying to find a college team that will take on this challenge that even though you have young guys, but for the most part, you know, might be familiar with each other uh, in, in international competition. Well, I mean, I'm, it, it's, you know, I don't six of one, half a dozen of the other in some ways in that I, there are certainly teams that are better and more talented than we are that, that could be representing the United States in this event. I'm not exactly sure how it got to Clemson. I'm sure some other schools were asked and it didn't work out logistically uh, in situations, you know, so I, I think the model is, is one that, you know, could be successful either way. Purdue did well, Kansas. I know both did, both those schools did well, but I, it, you know, I don't know, think Purdue won the gold. I mean, it's, it's, if you're going to truly go for the gold, then you're probably, you probably want the collection of the best college players we can get. You know, I think this is a different type of tournament a little bit. Uh, and that's why maybe they've gone to the scholastic model. So the three point line is changing and it's going to the FIBA international distance. Uh, I'm assuming that they're going to use that in the world university games. Yeah. And we've, we've been working with it and it, it's a difference. There's no doubt about it, that, that, that extra foot is, is a, it's a difference on a lot of players and uh, you know, the, your best shooters probably aren't as affected by the line as, as you know, a lot of your guys that are kind of those fringe three point shooters, guys that, that make one out of three and now you're stepping them an extra foot back. Uh, and I tell you where you really see it, Andy uh, is in the corners, the spacing now in the corners, it's really tight over there. And so the footwork involved to shoot the ball consistently well without stepping out of bounds, that's a real change, and, and I think you're going to see that there, that'll be hard for college kids for a while. Uh, I think the line's going to affect the college game this year 
maybe a little more than some people think. So to that point, I mean, this is a great advantage, you could argue, because I've talked to a lot of coaches this spring of them putting it in and trying to work on it. But you're going to have actual, you know, real game experience, practical experience before next season of trying to deal with the new three-point line. Yeah, no, there, there's certainly some advantages. And then just even even though we're not going to play with the, you know, with a 24-second shot clock, for our guys to have to do that this this summer in this event, I think is, you know, it just it leads to more possessions. When you get an offensive rebound and the clock only goes to 14, it leads to a quicker possession. Like you realize when you get an offensive rebound, there's not a lot of time to do much. Uh, you get a ball reversal and somebody better make a play. And so uh, there's several things that, the FIBA game keeps it a little bit more free flowing. Certainly the wider lane. There's some things that we think are going to help us uh, for next year by having played in this event without a doubt. All right. So when you go to Clemson's website and your, your page, there's a lot of new things that have popped up this spring. You add, uh, you know, Tevin Mack, you add Kevon Moore, you add Curran Scott, you add Nick honor. Uh, You've had changes to your staff and hiring Anthony Goins and Philip Pearson, who has been a longtime assistant in many SEC circles, but in within your footprint uh, of your ACC SEC, um, as you look at sort of all these new additions, how do you see this all playing out? Maybe even on this trip, and then going forward. Well, yeah, we we uh, we almost need name tags. We, <laughs> we've got like nine or ten new folks, so it's been a little different in practice. And you know, the most challenging part for this trip is this trip usually takes place in August, and so it allows the the team that's getting ready, you know, a full month to almost prepare. Unfortunately for us, this, this trip happens this weekend. And so we've been trickling in players. Tevin Mack's only been in three practices and uh, some other guys have only been here about a week and a half. And the freshmen have been here kind of for about two weeks. And so we really haven't had that much time to kind of get as prepared as we would like to be. Having said that, the new staff and, and, all the new players, every time you bring in new folks, there's this uh, excitement and enthusiasm and everybody wants to do right and everybody wants to show that that they're a good player and a, a good staff man. And so everybody's excited and working really hard and our energy level is, is really high. And so that, that's that's been really fun and exciting and, and I'm looking forward to seeing how it all plays out. So I rattled off, you know, a number of what, four names right there with uh, college basketball experience. And and that seems to be the new normal, whether it's a four-year transfer, a grad transfer, you know, having to sort of take on players that are going to help fill a need and jump right in and play right away. Sort of, you know, as you know, I've been doing this for a long time now. It kind of almost feels like we are sort of going back to when a lot of people were, you know, going the JC route and adding a JC player to sort of fill a void. Now it's a college, uh, it's a... uh, it's a D1 transfer to sort of fill that void. What's your thought on on now that being the new normal and how some of these guys will have to help you next season? Well, it, it's just that. It is, it's the new normal. It is normal now. And, uh, you know, I think sometimes transfers, you know, 15 years ago, 10 years ago, when a kid transferred, I think everybody felt really, really bad about it. We did something wrong. You know, I think it's just different now. I think we expect so much more out of, out of kids you know we've got the back then we didn't have mandatory workouts in the summer and now you know you've got kids on campus for eight weeks in the summer and obviously the strength coach is working with them year round we're doing almost year round with kids now and so when kids don't play 
25 minutes a game, oftentimes they're going to come in the office because of how hard they're working. And they're just, they want to go to a situation where they're gonna. And I think that's okay. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Obviously what's happened now a little bit is roster management has become very challenging for college coaches. You just don't know uh, year to year, you know, it's, it's rare that you don't lose somebody. And so you're constantly trying to predict and put a team together and, and we all kind of know that, you know, you need to kind of be old. Uh, maybe unless you're Kentucky or Duke and you're getting a bunch of one and dones, you almost have to be old to be successful in college basketball. And so we're all trying to manage that, figure that out. And now with the grad transfer that's been available the last few years, uh, that certainly has been a, a big piece to help kind of solidify your team and give your team experience. Like we were going into this season with no seniors. And obviously the addition of Curran Scott and Tevin Mack, two grad transfers, really help us just in terms of experience and uh, guys that have been through the war. So I think that's that's really important and uh, almost necessary at most places if you're going to be successful. And, and Brad, to wrap up here, uh, as uh, we're talking right before you're about to, to head off to Italy, I mean, you guys were like maybe a game or two away from being in the NCAA tournament last season. You've been in, you've been on the bubble. You, now you've added some experience. Uh, if you look at the ACC, the league lost a lot. I mean, there's going to be no returning first or second team players. Still a lot of talent, obviously, but it really, you could argue, uh, as much as we want to project the favorites of Duke and Carolina and Louisville and Virginia to some extent, it really could be wide open, uh, you know, from top to bottom. Uh, How much hope, optimism does that give you now that you've added some of these pieces that, hey, you know what? Nothing is uh, out of reach for even this group, you know, assuming this trip goes pretty well. Yeah, no, we're very optimistic and excited about, you know, the future here and what what's going on in our program. Um, we're not going to kid ourselves. This is my 10th year in the ACC, and so I, I know the Blue Bloods aren't going away now. I mean, Duke and Carolina, they can lose some guys. Louisville, Chris is doing a great job. Virginia with Tony has been as good as anybody over the last three, four, five years. So we know those teams are all going to be, you know, top 20, top 10 teams. But that's what you want. You want you want to play against the best. You want to compete. And uh, it is a little bit different this year. And there are, you know, once again, the, the ACC, I think, had the most NBA draft picks. And so it's just that's just the nature of our league. But certainly we're optimistic about our our program, where we're going and, and the guys we brought in. We're excited about what, you know, what's ahead of us. And it starts with this trip to Italy. Have a great, safe trip, Brad. Uh, go for the gold. And uh, we'll check in uh uh, you know, later in the summer and early fall. Good luck. Sounds good. Thanks, Andy. And that'll wrap up this edition of March Madness 365. I'm your host, Andy Katz. As always, check out all our content on March Madness social media platforms. That's on Twitter, on Facebook, wherever you download your podcast, return a podcast. That's where you'll find us at March Madness 365. Thanks for listening. When you're an American Express Platinum Card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've I've lost count. Or, shoot that, shoot that! And even, Checkout's not until 4, so... Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Terms apply.